Camera speed. Sound production, take one. Scorsese to De Niro, Spike to Denzel, Kugler to Jordan, and from Jordan Peele to Daniel Kaluuya. Some filmmakers have managed to create masterpieces by putting the perfect person in front of the camera. This week, Michael and I take a look at movies from Nope to Get Out to the Black Panther series that puts a spotlight on special relationships between actors and directors. Welcome to the director's chair. I'm Val The Voice Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by the Riddles Clean Comedy Virtual Show. Find out more on our website, linktr.ee forward slash purelightmedia. And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Val The Voice Johnson. Did you know that the very first assembly of photographs to create a motion picture was a two-second clip of a black man on a horse? And that man is my great-great-grandfather. Great. There's another great grandfather. The first image, the idea that the first image on film is of a black man on a horse riding a horse to show motion, yet we don't know for sure who that black man is, is amazing. And it just goes in another way to point out how movies have long ignored, rejected, and written us out, whitewashed us out of history. And, and I love the fact that Jordan Peele starts with that idea in the very beginning of his latest masterpiece called Nope. The wonderful thing about just, I like when filmmakers can pretty much use the same actors and just vibe and, and they get it this deadpanness that Daniel Kaluuya plays as the brother trying to maintain this ranch. I, I love Keith David. He shows up, we see him. We hear him most importantly. We hear him most importantly, yeah. right. The voice. I love the voice. Cause you know, he's done a lot of, he's like done a whole bunch of voiceover work. So. He's the king of voiceover. Yeah. <laughs> he's been... In animation and all documentary forms, he is the king. James Earl Jones, I know everybody loves his voice, but Keith David is the voice you recognize. He's the one that people go to. Yeah. So I was I was just really, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to do a talk about filmmaking, especially great filmmakers that love to use the same actors and sometimes in some cases the same cinematographers they surround themselves with the people that get their vision and nope has a vision i love what you say i did not know i kind of figured it out that the first image of of a, of a first image on film was someone of color we don't know that and jordan brings that to light and 
who's to say that he's thinking, you know, I want to make sure that I, I bring this out along with the horror. We'll get to that. Let's 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 do some education. He, he took that with Daniel. Um, very first uh, masterpiece that he won the Oscar for. Why is that slipping my mind? The film. Get out. For. Get out. Get out of yeah. here. <laughs> that was a film I refused to watch at first because I'm thinking I don't do horror. I love that the latest film from Jordan is called Nope, because that's that's how he said. I named it that way because I know black people, when people think about aliens or something that's totally off keeler, it's like, nope, nope. And in fact, several several times, Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya say the word. And I, I love that. Can we say why is it called Nope? Because Jordan, I would tell, I met Jordan, he was speaking to me about the film, and then for whatever reason, like he was developing, and I was like, what's it called? I just never asked him what it was called. He's like, nope. And I laughed for 30 seconds. Like, I was like, that is so funny. Because he said that's the reaction that black people will have when they watch it. Like, they're like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. So I'm so glad that you were, um, that we were able to kind of talk about this subject because right now, the two biggest directors in Hollywood in terms of going to see their movies in terms of critical acclaim and money, those people happen to be African-American. They are Jordan Peele, who directed Get Out, some masterpiece movie. He also directed Us, as well as his latest Note, which is number one at the box office as we're recording this. But the other gentleman is Ryan Coogler. And Ryan Coogler has only made uh, he's only directed three films. And when you're talking about the, the relationship that the director has to the actor, um, this is something that we saw about in kind of classic Hollywood, old school Hollywood, you would find a director and you'd find a director who would pair up with an actor. And this is during the old system of Hollywood where it's like, you know, here's this person, here's this other person and they are, you know, they're working together because they have to, because this director is attached to the studio, this actor is attached to the studio. That's why for a long time, if we go back to the history of it briefly, you see John Ford and John Wayne working together, right? Mm -hmm. On 18 films, all these Westerns are, when you see John Wayne, pretty much John Ford directed that movie. From Stagecoach yeah. yeah. all the way to The Quiet Man and Donovan's Reef. <laughs> you're looking at a Jimmy Stewart movie and a suspenseful movie, <coughs> excuse me, a suspenseful movie, right. something where right. you don't know what's going to happen, that's Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock went and got Jimmy Stewart and he put him in front of the camera the same way that Steven Spielberg got Tom Hanks and stuck him in front of the camera for like Bridge of Spies and, and Catch Me If You Can and Saving Private Ryan. And you see kind of these kind of directors gravitating to actors who in some way, some would say, are the act are the director on the screen. They play the everyman. But the director has something to do with the vision of the film. And they kind of see themselves and the actor is able to translate that director's vision through, you know, their delivery, through their presence on the screen. So that's why you see in note, Jordan Peele and Daniel Kaluuya have this kind of chemistry. They yeah. have to, they where have to. there is trust there that one knows what the other one wants. 
and they deliver that to the film. I don't think it is, um, you know, not to overstate anything, but I don't think it's, uh, you know, just happenstance that when we're talking about Jordan Peele and the great movies that he's done, he's directed three movies, but the ones that stand out to us most are the two that star Daniel Kaluuya. There's a movie in the middle that's just pretty good, but it doesn't rise to the same standards as these last two with Daniel Kaluuya. And then with Jordan, with, with uh, Michael B. Jordan, here's the thing that people, I think, kind of miss out. He's been in a lot of things. Yes, he's been in a lot of movies. He certainly has had his Q-ready and exposure rise. But in terms of directing, Ryan Coogler has only directed movies that starred Michael B. Jordan. I had to go check that to make sure before I said it on this podcast. But Seriously? He has only made movies that he's directed Michael B. Jordan. That is his muse. That is his guy. And as much mm -hmm. as we certainly see in Chadwick Boseman carry that first Black Panther movie, don't underestimate the value of Michael B. Jordan's character in Killmonger in the first Black Panther movie. Mike, uh, Ryan Coogler, who's from Oakland, of course, mm -hmm. Directed Fruitville Station, which is a story out of Oakland, who starred Michael B. Jordan. Right. He and directed Creed in 2015, yeah. that starred Michael, Michael B. B. Jordan. Jordan. Right. And then he came back with Black Panther in 2018, who starred. Well, he was in the ensemble. He was in the ensemble. I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? Are you kidding me? He's the, Are you going to tell me Michael B. Jordan was in the, in, in the ensemble? I'm being, I'm, I'm being funny. What I'm trying to say is he is... He I don't know. Are you? He, he, he wasn't Black Panther. He wasn't the lead actor. If we're going to if we're gonna be really... He was the lead antagonist. He's the person that gave, that gave the push to the film. Like I... Like I, I like how you say that. Valerie, he, Valerie, did you watch the movie with black people? I watched the same movie of black people like black everyone people? else. I black I talked I talked to many say women. They identified more than with Killmonger than they did with Black Panther. Do you oh, remember the conversation? I remember I remember always having that conversation, right? And, Killmonger and just, was right. Huh? You don't remember those conversations where Killmonger's right, bring that money to the hood? Why, why is Wakanda like, you know, holding out on Oakland, holding out on the cities <laughs> all across the U.S.? How come right, you're not right. spreading it around? Basically, people were echoing Killmonger's argument throughout that whole movie, especially Which, his attitude toward colonialists. Exactly. And Which you gonna made, tell me, okay, you gonna tell so, me he was like in the so, ensemble? Okay, well, let me, okay, well, let me, let me, let me correct. That's a one, one A. Situation. Okay, well let me let me go ahead and let me go ahead and correct that. Now let me let me be very let me let me be extremely clear. Let me be extremely clear. Black Panther literally there's a lot of folks in Black Panther. I'm just going to just put it out there. There's a lot of people in Black Panther. And my thing there's is a lot is of people that, in every Marvel movie. There's a, there's a lot of people in, in a lot of Marvel movies. My thing is is that Ryan wrote an excellent antagonist.
to where you are able to say, no, he's a main character. The film is named Black Panther. The person who played Black Panther is Chadwick Boseman. He is the lead actor. Mm. Everybody else is there and they're doing oh, great things. They're doing, no, no, I'm serious. They're doing great things. It's like if I was to go, I don't know, let me stop. Let me, here we go. Iron Man, Iron Man, I'll go to, I'll go to Iron Man. If we were to say, oh no, the only lead, the only person that mattered is, uh, who is this? Uh, 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 Robert Downey Jr. But if there's great writing, you're gonna really go into and, and vibe with the antagonist. So I'm saying to you, no, no, no. Dan um, Michael B. Jordan, he he definitely led he he definitely led his role on Black Panther. He was a perfect antagonist. We identified with him. That's excellent screenwriting when you can write so well. If you can that's write that well, what was that? That's excellent directing because that's all that that's two. That is okay. As you pointed out, and I'm giving you credit. As you pointed out earlier. In this case, the director is also one of the screenwriters. He is. Why do you think we were able to identify with Killmonger so much? Because Ryan Coogler is able to identify with Michael B. Jordan that well. And he gave him a part that was okay. strong that because he knew that he could do it based on the two previous movies that they worked together, which so happened to be the only two movies that Ryan Coogler ever directed. I do you love working with uh, Michael Jordan so much? I mean, he's he's uh, he was in Fruitvale. <laughs> yeah, I, I work with Creed. Mike. Yeah, I work with Mike a lot. Um, my first time working with Mike was because he's really talented. You know, Mike's an exceptional, exceptional performer, man. And and, and uh, I would advise any filmmaker to hire him if you could, <laughs> if you could, you know, find a find a find a role for him. Um, and in this, in this film particularly. You know, we needed somebody who could, who could stand toe to toe with Chadwick. Like the, the the film was calling for that. You know, and and Chadwick is is, is an exceptional actor. He's exceptionally gifted. Yeah. You know, and, and, and charismatic. Uh, you know, so we needed somebody that had a different type of charisma, a different type of energy. But who who you could believe? You know, when they when they stand and have face offs and close up. You know, you can believe that that you know Chad might be in trouble. You yeah, know exactly. I mean? Yeah, and, no. And so it, now, wait, wait. Let me. Now I have to do a timeout. Now I just looked. I just did a little research. Don't give me no shorts. I don't want to hear about his shorts. Okay, well then he wrote he wrote and directed some other stuff. The very now, uh, I don't want to hear about shorts. I'm talking about real live movies. I'm talking about Bill Station. I'm talking about Creed. I, I, if we start talking about Spike Lee, you're gonna tell me that he well his first actual film was We Cut Heads and it was back when he was a, a student at NYU. Nobody cares. Okay. Okay. Spike did. Spike's first movie was She's Gotta Have It. It wasn't, we cut heads, and then he did that, and then he parlayed that into it. Stop. <laughs> this man has worked with one actor. This actor just so happens to be one of, so to speak, one of the better actors in Hollywood, and also one of the leading men, the few leading men that we have left in this new strain of Hollywood films. And that's Wait a minute, my, that we have story. left? That we have left? He's Absolutely. the only one? He, he is one of the few who is a leading man who can actually bring people to the theater because he's in a movie. When okay. you see his name in a movie, Michael B. Jordan's in that, people will likely go see that movie because he's in it. There are not a lot of people that do that, especially now post-COVID. Mm -hmm. This idea, I mean, it was 
greatly tested by, you know, a, a film icon and Tom Cruise, if Tom Cruise comes out, remakes a movie that's like 40 years, you know, done 40 years previously, and people go to see it because they want to see Tom Cruise. He's an excellent actor. He he, he put people in seats, right? Marvel seat. has been able to do that too, based on their name and their history. They've been able to put people in seats. Now, what's great about this going full circle is that Jordan Peele, based on the strength of Get Out, largely, mm-hmm. and the It star who returns with him for Note, they were able to put people in seats in the movie theater post COVID in the summer, a summer <laughs> blockbuster. I mean, and, as and you this said, it's a horror movie, but it opened huge. Was yeah, it almost and I, uh, $5 million opening? How much, how much was it? It was like 45, right? So okay. 40, 40, 45, yeah. Yeah, so I, my thing is, is that the, I'm the type of person that's been converted into, I will see a Jordan Peele film. I, I can't do horror. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Not, I'm not. He, he's not horror. He's and I don't. He's suspense, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that like Hitchcock. Exactly. So and just I, like Hitchcock had his uh, Jimmy Stewart, mm-hmm. Jordan Peele has his Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, which almost sounds like a drink, but yes, I love it. But whatever works. So delicious. I. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so delicious. So there's, I we had talked about this a little bit before because I love to always bring up Spike. Spike Lee, anytime I can talk about this type of thing. I believe his muse for a good long while was what actor, Michael? Well, I mean, that would have to be Denzel Washington. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the one that we know. That's who he channeled and gave the uh, historic role of Malcolm X, even though Denzel Washington, you know, photo by photo, looks nothing like Malcolm X, but he was able to <laughs> convey the mm-hmm. energy, the thought, the idea, the presence of Malcolm X through that amazing film. Yeah, the there's other actors that he I know that Spike likes to work with, but I know throughout Spike's film history, he's done four films with with Denzel, and people are like, I thought it was just Malcolm X and and she and Mo Better Mo Better Blues. No, there's. People forget about um, He Got Game and then Inside Man was not a Spike Lee joint. It was a film that uh, Denzel was able to bring Spike Lee on as a director. So, And why would he do that? Black Hollywood is small and it's about relationships. And great relationships are forged with directors and actors and depending on who you are and the power you have to put butts in seats as a director you need to be able to vibe with that and have those good relationships a non-black director that i love his work is christopher nolan he's had a way of working with actors and bonding with them where they can just bring things to life now i'm leaving the marvel universe and going to the batman universe I feel like that bond that Christopher Nolan and why is his name slipping my mind? 
you want to say Christian Bale? I want to say Christian Bale, yes, because they did okay. three films of The Dark Knight together, and I felt mm. like that was that was done in unison. I love Inception. There's a lot of people that hate Inception, but there were actors in Inception that Christopher Nolan likes to use that have shown up in earlier works that he's done. So that it seems to be a a a a, a vibe. And, and, more, and more than Christian Bale, I mean, when it, it, I think it's very easy yeah. on the surface to see the uh, Christopher Nolan, Christian Bale kind of, uh, you know, relationship there. The person that Christian Bale is, I mean, excuse me, that Chris, Christopher Nolan has worked with more than any other actor is Michael Caine. He's yes. worked with Michael Caine over and over again. Over again. Of course, Michael Caine is Alfred. Uh, through the Dark Knight series, but but Michael Caine shows up in Inception. He shows up in Dunkirk. He shows up in these other films by Christopher Nolan. And I think that kind of speaks to this idea. Uh, Michael Caine, one of these you know old school Hollywood actors who kind of co commands this sort of Respect. known. Uh, respect. Uh, there's a element of masculinity that Michael Caine has that's in reserve there. It's not so pronounced, you know, it's not like a Vin Diesel or, or Dwayne Johnson in terms of his masculinity. But there's this kind of like presence that Michael Caine delivers that I think there's always a space there in a Christopher Nolan movie for that person as well. You know, he was also, Michael Caine was also an intended. So even there with the movie that starred, uh, you know, uh, uh, Washington's uh, son, Denzel uh, Washington's son. That David, there, David Washington. Have, right. You still have Michael Caine. You still have a Michael Caine. Uh, so if we are, Val, the voice, if we are talking about uh, actors and director relationships, uh, you touched upon one with a... Um, with Spike Lee and, and Denzel Washington, certainly that was one that has certainly garnered a lot of awards or at least uh, Academy Award nominations. There are two others that come from an, uh, another actor, another New York-based director, and that would be Martin Scorsese. Mm -hmm. Martin Scorsese is almost synonymous. When you hear Martin Scorsese's director something, you're like, yeah, but what, what's Robert, you know, what's Robert, Robert De, Niro De Niro do? What's he going to do in the movie, right? <laughs> what's he gonna, what's he gonna, even right. even only has two lines, he's going to show up. <laughs> right, you almost expect him to be cast in the movie. And there's a reason why. And that is because those two have made 10 movies together. Ooh. 10 movies since 1973. In 1973, the first one, of course, was Mean Streets which I still okay. think is a underseen, undervalued movie. It's probably mm -hmm. one of Scorsese's best movies. It's one of the, his first in terms of a partnership with De Niro. And I, I think it's a partnership. And oh, the yeah. other one is something that's coming out in 2022, later on in November. And I'll get to that one in just a second. Because the other person that Scorsese has worked with Almost as much, uh, you know, just a few films short of his work with De Niro is Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, Leo. and Leo have worked on six films together. Six films. 
going back to 2002 with Gangs in New York, where Leo has a, a smaller, I think, part. I think you could argue over that, but I think it's a smaller part okay. compared to where he is in The Departed or Wolf of Wall Street. And together, Scorsese's got both De Niro and DiCaprio in the same movie coming out in 2022 called Killers of the Flower Moon, which is this kind of Western. It's going to be released in November, which, you know, you'll have to remember to see because there's that other movie that's being released November 11th, 11th. Yeah, and we'll be talking about <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, and they're not they're not even calling it Black Panther two. I believe it premiered this pat over the weekend, and Ryan Coogler. I watched a clip from Com- Comic Con, mm-hmm. and Ryan Coogler talked about how um, Chatwick was sitting next to him, and none of the actors had seen the first cut of of the first Black Panther, and how you know. Chadwick just grabbed his shoulder and was like, "Wow, like this is, you know, phenomenal looking at the looking at the trailer." And so with them showing with I think they had African singers and African um, drummers and everyone come out. He's like, "I now I feel Chadwick's hand on my shoulder." And I don't know, I got emotional. I watched another video that had people's reaction to the trailer and you know, this is something that is going to be uh, a big deal, and I love the I love the the alliteration of the numbers. A lot of people are doing a, a film release on interesting dates. Nope was released seven twenty two twenty two. Like all these twos are in the is in the date, and uh, Wakanda Forever, the sequel to Black Panther, will be released one one November eleventh. 2022 so all those alliteration of numbers mean something 11, 11, make a wish make a wish make a wish all those candles <laughs> and and the other um I, I hate to i love that we've brought up a lot of male directors but the one female director i want to bring up is ava duvernay she's one of my favorites i love that she has been a advocate <laughs> for hiring and making sure that women directors are seen and hired some people have had some issues with her hiring predominantly all women for directing oh, which no, she's done great on cream sugar i don't know why people have an issue with it because because i'm thinking I hey question is she's a director what was that i just question that she's a director okay okay well my <clears throat> my thing is I like that she's worked with some of my favorite actors throughout her career. Um, uh-huh. One of my favorites is Omar Hardwick, you know, of the Power series. This is well before Power. He did a wonderful film with her called I Will Follow. Kind of slow film, but you know, it, she was she was getting her feet wet. And I'm not I'm gonna mispronounce his name, David Oyelo. Oh yeah, yeah. Oreo, yes. yes, and she's worked with him twice, Selma and another film that they did together. And I'm, well, I'm only, she only did like a couple movies together. I mean, she's only directed a few movies. That's why I say like when we're talking about directing. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of film, she has directed a lot for television. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense. And she's mm-hmm. done very well that she's directed for Netflix uh, documentaries there. But in terms of like movies, 
I mean, she did admit it. She did. I will follow. Okay, I will follow. You mentioned that. Then mm-hmm. she does Middle of Nowhere, Dave Aiello's in Middle of Nowhere. Mm-hmm. And then he's she also comes in back Selma. Selma, mm-hmm. uh, which also stars David Aiello as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Excellent mm-hmm. film. Excellent film. It really withstood the test of time. And then there was a mistake. We're gonna, and... we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna mention the the wrinkle. <laughs> okay, we're going to mention the wrinkle. Yeah, okay. she has not returned to movies since. And you know what? It's okay because the historic thing about her directing *A Wrinkle in Time*. Next door to her, guess who was cutting? No, no, no. Guess who was cutting their film? Ryan Coogler. Black Panther. They said they cut their films across the the way from each other. It was very interesting for them to have that shared history. And then um, even though unfortunately that film did not do well, it was at the time one of the highest budgets given to an African-American woman director feature um, at the time for Wrinkle in Time. Now unfortunately it didn't do well. Okay. Mm We'll take the, uh, we'll, you know, some people, we take an L for things. It's okay. Well, but, However, but, oh, it's, here's, here's my point. And, and, and I'll come around. And there's a reason I mentioned it, see, because I, I know I know how much you like her. So I know that this is a little <laughs> bit uncomfortable. Um, but, but there's a reason for this. There's a reason for this. She should be able to do that. This is the problem. Okay, now, she should be able to do that. Have male directors made movies that bomb? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Oh, a yeah. lot. A lot. <laughs> now, when, when it comes back around, do they probably get a smaller budget the next time? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, they do. Now, here's the thing: they get a next time. Ava DuVernay has been working kind of around film ever since that tragedy. Uh, in terms of the cinema tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. She's been doing TV, excellent. Uh, when, when They See Us, 13, all of these things. All the work, Queen Sugar, which is a, a is still phenomenal. a really phenomenal television show. And with the idea of this rotation of female directors, many of color coming in and contributing to that show, amazing. Should she have, I don't know if she wants one. I don't know if she's waiting on the perfect project. I'm not sure what the deal is, but it does. I am saddened. That's why I'm saying it. I'm saddened at the fact that she hasn't come back yet. And and, I, and I'm just fearful that it is one of those situations where it's going to take a long time to get past that. That was a mistake with Disney. Disney owns like everything now, you know. <laughs> the mouse, Disney. the mouse. Yeah, you mentioned that 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 she was cutting a a, a, a wrinkle in time across from Ryan Coogler with Black Panther. Cut of, of, I mean, talk about a study in contrast in terms mm-hmm. of the success of Black Panther and just the utter failure of a wrinkle in time. I mean, there there is really no bigger contrast than that. Ryan Coogler here, he hasn't done a whole lot of projects since then, right? 
But no. but as soon as Black Panther comes out, you're going to see a list of movies that he has been involved in working on. And to my point, Val, the voice, guess who stars in the next Ryan Coogler movie scheduled to come out after Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever? Michael B. Jordan. You're darn right. Because <laughs> they have a relationship. He has starred in every movie he's been in. So, so if you all are listening to this, I know you like to be surprised, and I don't have any special information that anybody else has. But Another do not be surprised. Do not be surprised if you see Michael B. Jordan in Wakanda Forever, either through a flashback or through some kind of trickery in terms of chronological timeline, because them two, or those two, have a way of working together and making things a success. Okay, so why wouldn't they work together? He'll figure out a way. He'll be in that movie. Promise, trust. Some way, Michael B. Jordan will be in Wakanda Forever. Wakanda Forever! In terms of directors and the actors that are their muse, I I can't think of any others. I know there's there's tens of other directors and Well, there's Quentin Tarantino. There's There's Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. Who else? And, and who Samuel else? Jackson. I feel like Samuel Jackson has been in a lot of of films with Spike too. Yeah, but did, did you recall at, at one point there was a they were sort of fighting over him. Did, do you remember this? I remember this that. Like, there was this was a few years back, but Samuel Jackson was in a, a Quentin Tarantino movie. And Spike, you know, because Spike is a provocateur, he wants to make you think, and he says things just kind of like, you know, make you think about it. Uh, he just <laughs> the fact that the N-word is often featured in movies with Quentin Tarantino. Oh, Tarantino yeah. Kind of litters or peppers some of his movies with profanity, including that racial uh, term. Or the, N- the N-word. Right. Now, in doing that, who steps in to defend Quentin Tarantino? Sam. Samuel Jackson. You know, the bad, you know, mother. Mm. Mm-hmm. He Shut comes in and says, hey, look, this is what artists do. This is how that works. And in doing that, he kind of, in a way, talks about the fact that, you know, he is in many of these movies that Mike is talking about using some of these terms he's the person is saying them you know <laughs> you go back to jackie brown you want to do a word count you can uh <laughs> it's too many it's too many it's too many <laughs> hey go go to the, uh django unchained which also features samuel jackson a lot of them came out of samuel's mouth there um uh, you know so so i mean i think that we can look at and we do look at as you mentioned, uh, Samuel Jackson and Spike Lee, they're, they're, they're good friends. They're both uh, Morehouse men. They have that history together. But in terms of films, I don't know if you can put Samuel Jackson just with Spike Lee. I think no. better. I mean, come on. I just, uh, I, I oh, feel like. Jackie Brown. I mean, you know, Django yeah. and Ch- the, the Hateful Eight. These are all yeah. Quentin Tarantino movies featuring Samuel Jackson. Right. I just know that early, see, there, Tarantino wouldn't have known about a Samuel L. Jackson unless, because I think Spike put him in 
some of his earlier films. And it, I'm and, and let me let me let me be clear. Samuel Jackson, if I'm looking at this correct, as of where are we in 2022? He's done over 200 films. That's what I see listed. This is a little nuts. This is a little nuts in my mind. And in in and in the in his 70s, he is now either going to get a Nick Fury series or film because of Marvel and his popularity in that realm. That's nuts. And I love it because that means he's able to say, you know what? I really like that Walter Mosley book. Let's let's turn that into a series for Apple exactly. TV with mm -hmm. my wife. Uh, right. My wife and I are going to like, you know, we're going to fund this theater. We'll renovate it for young uh, up and coming uh, actors, actresses, directors, and people on the stage. He's right. got that Marvel money. He's got that Tarantino, <laughs> Spike Lee swagger where he can do whatever he wants to do. And that's kind of how it came to be. I mean, he linked up with two of the biggest directors of the early 90s who are still continually turning out top films. So that means that he always has some place to work. And lately, uh, you know, Samuel Jackson has been with the Russo brothers mm -hmm. in terms of the uh, Marvel movies. The Russo brothers uh, are, are, as a dynamic duo <laughs> themselves, are really uh, pushing uh, film and action film. So I think between the movies with Tarantino, movies with Spike Lee, and the Russo brothers, Samuel L. Jackson has found uh, his three sets of directors and he's There's been a history of American cinema, which has denigrated, defamed, belittled, dehumanized. It's documented. The Klan used birth of a nation to lynch black folks. As a filmmaker, you know, it's not something to play with. It's gonna take many decades to retell these stories and I knew that one way that I could do something about this was to make films for a diverse audience to show black people in all our glory faults warts and whatnot but I hope that you guys enjoyed our our chop it up regarding directors and their muse, their acting muse. The conversation continues between EP Michael Womble and Val The Voice. For more of our fun outtakes from this week's episode, please visit our Interludes YouTube channel. Have you seen it? It's the weekly chat with EP Michael Womble, Coach Tony, and Val The Voice Johnson. Interludes Extra presents Talk on Tuesdays. Join us and other special guests as we break down the latest topics surrounding music, movies, and sports every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, live in the chat on our Interludes YouTube channel. Interludes. Original concept by Valerie Johnson, written by Michael Womble, produced by Michael Womble and Valerie Johnson. Original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by the Riddles Clean Comedy Virtual Show featuring hosts Jury O'Neill, Donald Owens Jr., Michael Womble, and Val The Voice Johnson. To purchase a ticket for download, 
or information about our upcoming virtual screening, please visit our website, linktr.ee forward slash purelightmedia. To subscribe to our YouTube channel or join our Interludes Facebook group, visit the website, linktr.ee forward slash purelightmedia.com.